2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Taylor. What's up, Taylor? Hey, how's it going? Happy holidays.
1: Uh, just enjoying. I have the fo- I have the next week off from work, so looking forward to enjoying some downtime uh, here at the end of the year.
2: Wow, that's uh, that's very nice. The the week off. I'm pretty jealous. Yes, it's a it's a big perk of the big perk of the job. I see. I had some uh, very rude person file something so that the timeline for me to respond is that I have to file my response on New Year's Day. So that's very nice. That. Not polite. <laughs> not at all polite. Uh, make sure that you are following uh, our show on Twitter at J Bomb Audio. Uh, I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor's at Tay Mambo. Uh, you can subscribe to the show by searching for Jumping Bomb Audio on the podcast app of your choice. You'll get these as soon as they come out, which is uh Mondays, right? Every other Monday, this show comes out. So uh if you subscribe, you'll get it immediately. If you use the Apple Podcast app, give us a five-star rating and a review. If you'd like to donate to the show, you can do so by going to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. And uh Taylor You had a special podcast appearance recently. Yes, I
1: appeared on uh, Wrestling Omakase. They did a Joshi year in review episode. Uh, I was joined, of course, John, the host and Luke, who goes by Oyster Earrings on Twitter. Uh, We did a year in review covering every uh, Joshi promotion that will be up on the Wrestling Omakase Patreon on january 1st so a a perfect time to uh subscribe to that patreon and catch that episode
2: uh you've done that what
1: two years in a row before this i think we talked about it on the show i think this was the third year in a row that that the three of us uh did the joshi year in review
2: so it's it's becoming a holiday tradition it is and it's always excellent so i highly recommend everybody go uh go and check it out i've really enjoyed the first two Uh, On the show today, we are, of course, going to talk about uh, Nanae Takahashi and Yoshiko appearing at Stardom. We're going to go in-depth on the Osaka Dream Cinderella show uh, that Stardom ran on the 20th. Uh, A little bit on the two Coraklands that kind of bookended that show. We're going to preview the Tokyo Joshi Pro 1-4 show and the Ice Ribbon Ribbon Mania show. All those are coming up soon, so we're going to talk about all that, and there'll be a little bit other, a little bit more stuff in between all that. But let's get us started with uh, the biggest story, certainly in Joshi Pro Wrestling, and that is uh, Nanai Takahashi and Yoshiko coming back to Stardom, or at least having some involvement with Stardom. If you haven't seen it yet on the December what twenty sixth show, the year end climax show. After the main event, they basically played you know the the year end video that they usually play at this show, and then it kind of felt like uh, the show was over, except that uh, Nanai Takahashi and Yoshiko suddenly walked out, uh, jumped in the ring, and the ultimate angle here was Yoshiko challenging Mayu Iwatani to a singles match. Mayu. You know, very deliberately, I suppose, uh, did not accept or reject the challenge. Really, and they kind of seemed like they set up some other people so that there could be some other matches before that singles match. Unclear where that's going. Uh, it was funny because it started with Nanai saying, "We've come here to sell you on a little fight," and then they never booked a fight to sell us on. So, <laughs> I, I don't know what the fight is going to be. But anyway, the uh, the Joshi World is a buzz. Uh, Taylor, if you've listened to our whole show, I think we talked about it before, but do you want to explain why this is such a big deal? Uh, Sure. Well, um,
1: five years ago, it was in 2015, so I guess closing it on six years ago. uh, Yoshko and Nanai were both in uh, stardom. They had both started with stardom. If you listen to any of the um, sort of stardom flashback shows we did, uh, Aaron and I did this summer. They were on. They were all over the um, beginning of stardom, and Yoshiko uh, was involved in a in an incident where she um, injured another wrestler in in um, in a shoot uh, manner. And after that happened, um, Yoshiko went into quote unquote retirement. Nanai left. Um, stardom. It was thought that Yoshiko would, you know, go away, but a little while later, Nanai started seedling, um, where Yoshiko joined, and that is where they have been ever since. So, so they had this big, controversial moment. Um, probably the. Even bigger than Joshi, maybe the most controversial moment in wrestling in the last decade. Um, there might be a few others, but that certainly is up there. So something that I think a lot of people thought would never happen would be Yoshiko returning to stardom after all that went down and the way that she left. Um, but here she is back back in the promotion, uh, at least for a little bit. Don't know how long it will be, how many matches, if it's you know one match, a handful of matches. Uh but, as Aaron said, it wasn't made clear um at the year end climax, so we will have to wait and see what the future holds
2: yeah it was um i was somehow I didn't watch that match in angle till this morning, and I somehow completely uh was unspoiled <laughs> when it happened. like I saw a tweet the other day of or, you know it must have been in the last two days of someone saying something about the Yoshko discourse. But it just, like, did not click to me. I just, like, thought, oh, people are talking about Yoshko again. Who knows? And so I was really uh, surprised, even though I know you and I have talked about on this show several times the possibility that it seemed like, you know, that possibility was opening itself up again. Uh, but I was pretty shocked to see to see them actually walk out at this show. And it's funny because. Um,
1: This is jumping ahead a little bit, but Aaron and I have not talked about the Osaka show at all um, because I didn't know when he was watching it. And I saw this news on Twitter. Um, It happened. uh, The Stardom account posted a short video, not the whole thing. It was about 45 seconds that I almost sent to you, Aaron, to say, oh, look at this. And then I didn't send it. Um, And that was good because then you ended up being unspoiled or or mostly unspoiled watching it.
2: Yes, uh, it's always, you know, touch and go when you want to share Joshi results or news with your friends, because uh, so little of it are we able to, to watch live. But it was, uh, it hit me, honestly. I don't know. I'm sure some people are listening who, there's a lot of people who uh, I think are just always going to really dislike Yoshiko because of what happened. And a lot of people, I think, won't watch anything she's involved in or, or whatever. Although, I don't know. We've talked about her enough on this show that maybe if you're one of those people, um, you don't listen to our show. And, you know, I don't begrudge anyone uh, that opinion. I just don't share it. Uh, you know, in my view, she was a very young woman. And, uh, you know, a lot of time has passed. And um, to me, now there was other stuff at play, of course, uh, just yesterday. Brodie Lee, we found out Brodie Lee passed away. And so I was a little emotional. uh, But I was, this was like uh, very emotional to me, her being able to come back and and being welcomed at Stardom. Uh, I personally uh, was very happy for her and uh, just excited about this going forward.
1: Yeah. And I think we said on our one of our very first episodes, maybe the second episode or the third episode, that Aaron, I agree with you, but really, regardless of what our sort of feelings are, our exact feelings are, you know, Yoshiko is a major player in the world of Joshi. I mean, you're talking about she's finishing very highly on a lot of these year-end awards, you know, finishing second in at least a handful of them. Uh, She has the tag team with Seri that's very popular. So I think to not cover her or to sort of skip over her would be doing a disservice to something that is a big part of the the Joshi landscape. It would be sort of like skipping, you know, if we didn't cover a certain promotion for whatever reason, it just feels like not covering her or skipping over her would be doing a disservice to the listeners. So um, like you, Aaron, I understand the people who don't see the same way I do, but in terms of this podcast, I mean, we will, Um, we will always cover her because she is an integral part of a lot of things that go on in Joshi, especially now being back at least for a time in the biggest company in the whole scene.
2: All right. What uh, you know, I I didn't prep you for this. So just off the top of your head uh, and I won't hold you to it if you change your mind later, but with, with either of these two or with these two as a tag team, like what stardom matches are out there that you would really like to see these two involved in? Well, it was interesting
1: because we got, you know, they came out and they clearly, Yoshiko um, said, Mayu, I want a singles match. And then it seemed like everyone was standing up and moving, you know, Julia stood up at one point and made a comment, but that didn't really, and then Momo was getting in the main. I mean, I think a lot of what they set up, you know, didn't set up, but hinted at um, was fun. You know, Mayu, Yoshiko. I think would be a very good match, but also in terms of stardom, it has a lot of history there. The you know, first class of stardom, I think that would be fun. I mean, the Momo watanabe uh, Nanai Takahashi match that they teased near the end of the segment, I think would be um, also a really great match. It really struck me, um, and this isn't a critique of stardom, but that... Nanai came in the ring and really looked, she looked like an adult. And I realized I hadn't really thought of this, that not many people in stardom strike me in that way that Nanai does where it's like, okay, this is a veteran, an experienced person, you know, even someone like Maya, who's been around for for 10 years and is on the top of the company and is you know, an adult still sort of has a youthful, you know, and I think part of that is a wrestling style that it's very sort of gung-ho. Um, but that sort of struck me that it feels like Nanai is sort of removed from the sort of current makeup of stardom. So I think there could be a lot of matches there because I think, you know, look-wise and style-wise, she would be she would be an interesting matchup with a lot of of the roster.
2: Yeah, I was very excited to see uh, Momo there in the mix, obviously. Uh, and I think her against either of those two would be uh, a ton of fun. But yeah, the, the Mayu-Yoshiko match, I assume that will be a match for uh, Nippon Budokan on, in March, right? Do you agree with that?
1: Well, I would assume you might have... I mean, my first thought was they do um yoshiko mayu and Nanai momo on both on budokan because you're gonna need a number of big matches and i would think it might be a thing where stardom says to them okay we'll let yoshiko beat mayu if momo if if momo can beat Nanai." As a Mm -hmm. as a trade off, I don't know that they would want or Nanai would want Yoshiko coming in as the champion of the promotion, as obviously the big draw, the the most popular person in the promotion, coming in and losing. And I think Mayu is someone that you could beat. You know, she doesn't have a title anymore. She's popular, and losing is not going to damage her. But while you also get someone like Momo, you know, a nice win, even though she's not currently at the top of the card
2: hell i mean mayu lost to takumi aroha when she was the red belt champion so she certainly hasn't shown you know a a reluctance to to lose a big match like that and i mean i think that budokan as
1: we said when it was announced they are going to have to and i mean part of it we'll talk about in a second with this Osaka show the attendance I mean, it isn't like the attendance for this promotion is, you know, booming out the roof. They are going to need to absolutely stack this card to the gills at Budokan to to get a good number in that huge, gigantic building. So I think that's two more matches where I think it's going to interest people because there'll be good matches, but also there's some storyline there. You know, we talked about when it was announced, they really needed three things, Uh, you know, and one of these was the idea of Yoshiko coming back. One of them was uh, Yusuke Aikawa appearing, which is happening. And one of them was maybe some New Japan uh, involvement. We'll see if that one happens. But it certainly seems like this logically would be geared towards building a very strong budokan card well there was one other taylor
2: that was uh Kyrie hojo's return yes we and, about that. that's right
1: which i think at this point i mean the fact that they got nanai and yoshiko back i think a lot of this is bushy road going to whoever you know going to rossi and saying look we're running the show and we want to sell a lot of tickets so we don't really care." what you think about these people, they're going to come back and we're going to do this so that we can sell some tickets. I mean, that's the way I look at it. I don't know if that's the way it's actually happening. So you would think that Bushi road would go to Kairi Hojo and say, look, we want you on the show. Maybe it's only one match. You know, we want you back for one match, come from wherever you are, wrestle one match, and then you can go. If they can get the, the biggest enemy of stardom in, you would figure they could get someone who's in the country, part of the company's history. Um so that one seems like I mean at that it seems like a foregone c- conclusion that they just haven't announced yet but
2: who knows. Yeah that one's very weird because I I'm just completely unclear of what her WWE contract status is. She continues to do kind of like appearances for WWE or little like media hits or whatever. Uh so I'm just I just don't know even though she said previously she'd be able to wrestle for whomever she wanted, uh, so I, my guess is, um, if she can wrestle, it's already been worked out, and that'll be her first match, and then maybe she'll do other stuff, but they I'm sure they would pay whatever they had to uh, if you're Bushy Road, pay whatever you have to to make sure her first match is in stardom,
1: yeah, and I also think you know these sort of budokan things, you know, we had Yuki Aiko, out, which was was that at the end of November? that they announced that Um, I don't remember, but they're sort of spacing these out where, you know, it's Yusuke Aikawa, then it's, you know, Nanai and Yoshiko. And then maybe January it's Kairi Hojo so that you're not dumping all of this at once, but you can sort of say, okay, let's sell some tickets and then, Oh, here's an announcement. We, and we maybe get a bump um, from people interested in that. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if, you know, Kyrie's not announced till January or February, just because they're they don't need to be in any rush to announce everything on the card all at once.
2: No, and if you got something like Kyrie, I would probably announce that like the week before tickets go on sale or whatever So like really or I don't know are they on sale? I don't know. Um, um but of course I, there's a, this big issue now. I would, assume, now, right? they're on, I would
1: right. assume they're on sale. Okay, I don't know why they.
2: Yeah. Of course, there's this big issue now where, you know, New Japan's having to stop selling tickets. We don't really know what the world is going to look like in March. So, uh, yeah, all that is all that also will play into it. We'll see. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the Osaka show. I want to quickly talk about the twelve sixteen 16 show first. Uh, But just a few little notes here. Uh, Mayu versus uh, Saya Ida. Uh, Mayu, of course, won with a single leg crab. This was a really good match. Like, I, I watched it. Like, I went into it excited because I was like, oh, this is kind of just fun. You know, like, you don't I don't know. I don't know that we've seen this match before, uh, but I was intrigued by it. And then it turned out to be like an excellent match, like a four star level match. Uh, I feel like Ida has just like. On one hand, I'm like, wow, where did this progress from Ida come from? And on the other hand, I I was reminded on this Osaka show, of course, that she's less than two years in wrestling, you know, so, uh, she had plenty of room to, uh, to get better. And it makes sense for her to really be uh, improving, but just a match that I would uh, recommend to everyone to check out. If you haven't, the, uh, artists of stardom match, and this turns out weird after the, uh, most recent Coraquin, but the cosmic angels, win the artist titles, uh, very cute that Unagi got to fall. You know, it was famously her first uh, title match. She won, got to fall, uh, and it was pretty good. And then the main event, uh, Julia and Utami Hayashishta versus momo Watanabe and Shuri, was wonderful. So good. Kind of just like exactly what you want. Uh, I mean, to me, it's a lot of fun. This like inter-unit match, you know, not something that uh, we've seen before. But you know, this combination of these four, and uh, it was great. And, and Momo and Shuri is like my my dream tag team. Like that is those are probably my two favorite people in in Stardom. Uh, that's great. But then it's also it really hit me watching this match, uh, Taylor. That's like, oh, Julie is just like a top level worker. Um, I was talking with some people about most improved for this year, you know, in the in the Observer Awards. And it's like to me and I don't watch, you know, I have a lot of friends who say, oh, this person from Dragon Gate. I don't watch Dragon Gate. Uh, But to me, it's like Julia went from um, someone who it looked like her her push was going to fail to one of the best workers uh, in the company. So to me, uh, she's like she's the obvious pick. Well, Aaron, you're stealing a little bit of my thunder for uh, my my
1: thoughts of (laughs) the Osaka match. But I think the same thing that she's become, I think, very quickly. um, And I haven't ranked, you know, done any official ranking or anything, but I think easily she's in the top five workers in the company at this point.
2: Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very easily. Uh, Okay, but that's basically the the 1216 show uh, they drew nope I clicked the wrong one they drew 471 fans for that show so you know kind of similar uh, maybe a little down from what they have been drawing at at Coriquin uh, okay well let's talk about the Osaka show since I don't want to steal any more of your takes Taylor thank you <laughs> <laughs> so uh let's get right into it uh it started off with the future of well you already teased this so i i guess i should have said this first they drew 1027 fans to the adion uh osaka arena number one what do you what do you make of this uh attendance number so i mean it's not a
1: great Number for what the building fits, I actually looked at the last few months of shows that were run in the building, um, which was New Japan, Dragon Gate, um, Big Japan, and there might have been one other, but this was the lowest attended show of all of those. Um, Big Japan beat it by, I think, four fans. It was like 1031 or something. I mean, my whole thing is, and I actually said this on the Wrestling Omakase episode yesterday was, you know, it's not a terrible number, but if you're Road, and I go to Road, you know, I travel back in time and I talk to Road executives at the beginning of the year. And I say the best number you'll draw all year will be the first two Coricans you run in January that hit, you know pretty much 1,600 twice. I think they would be very disappointed to learn that. And, you know, some of it is obviously COVID, but but Edeon can fit in. I think New Japan had the highest um, attendance in the last few months, which was like 2,900 or something like that. So it isn't like, you know, 1,000 is... You know, they were stretched to the max because of the COVID restrictions. They had a lot more tickets to sell. Now I will say on the positive side, they drew a thousand for that Yokohama show with Mayu on top. They drew a thousand, you know, a little bit more, twenty twenty-three more tickets or whatever it was for this show with Utami on top. So at least the good news for me is. You're trying it with you Tommy, you're running a show and you haven't lost people. People are not leaving. You know, if they came out and they said, "Oh, attendance for the show was 600 people." All of a sudden you might be going, "Oh, uh-oh." Um, so at least you stayed steady um, with that, but it's a number it, it's that thing where I talk about Budokan, you know, Edeon, I think in you know, no with no restriction seats I don't even know, 8,000 or something like that. And all of a sudden you're going to go to a building twice that size. Now they're probably going to stack that card, but you know, it's not heading in the direction where I'm saying, Oh, they're really building attendance wise. It just doesn't seem like momentum is building. It seems like the sort of momentum is well, now this company is a sort of company that can go around and draw, you know, a thousand person house is a lot, but it just doesn't feel like it's like, okay, this is, they got momentum behind them. You know, they're getting people interested in the company. People are coming and wanting to check it out. So it's not, you know, it's not disaster, but it's also probably, I would imagine less than Bushy road probably would have hoped
2: going into this final show of the year. Well, I'll give them this, you know, they ran this, uh, year in climax, which I, I kept seeing people say it was a sellout. I looked on cage batch 713 fans. I know there have been, uh, stardom Coriquins during COVID with more, or not stardom, but Coriquins with more attendance than that. So maybe for whatever setup they were doing, but certainly more fans uh, could be fit in. So I find that strange. But anyway, uh, their biggest Coriquin in a while and they ran. Uh, a pretty massive angle. So, you know, hopefully uh, for them, that's something that will ignite the thing you're talking about. Um, the the weird thing to me is, yeah, maybe Bushiroad would have hoped for more, but I don't see how their strategy w- works. <laughs> like, it's such a bizarre strategy. So look at how they, uh, how New Japan grew, which was basically... Really, it was just like an organic growth, and then they started running bigger buildings. Now they did get pretty aggressive with the big buildings, but they ended up able to fill uh, almost all of those at at like their height. But they also had, you know, the, the New Japan World Service, uh, which they put all their shows on uh, for the price of the subscription, and you got uh, commentary eventually English commentary. And you got uh, all the the subtitle promos uh, on YouTube later at the time. And then they eventually, of course, brought in someone to translate them live. Uh, And you could watch all the shows live. Now, for what they're doing with Stardom is, let's aggressively run buildings, but let's make it so that even for people in Japan. Okay, let's assume for a second, let's forget about English commentary and forget about subtitling promos because they need to build a Japanese fan base because they're trying to fill buildings in Japan, right? While nobody else can get to Japan. Uh, And yet their big shows. They're putting on pay-per-view instead of giving them away on a, a streaming service. Now, I know that streaming isn't as popular in Japan as it is in America, but I do find it, Strange that they seem to be trying to grow this company while at the same time making the shows less accessible. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me, although I have
1: heard um, sort of anecdotally that the pay per views have done well in Japan. I think they did the first one and they were surprised by how well it did. So I think that that sort of um, encouraged them to keep up that model. Because they thought, well, the first one did surprisingly well, so let's just keep doing that i you know it's a little bit weird because I have a feeling that stardom World is largely a you know westerner outside of japan focused tool, or at least it might be in their mind, which is why you know they're they wait to upload the shows until they have the subtitled promos. And so they're thinking, well, people in Japan aren't going to use this. So the way that they're going to access it is they're not paying for Stardom World. So we'll just give them the access to the pay-per-view. And everyone outside of Japan can just wait
2: until the shows are on Stardom World. I think you're right. But it just it's strange to me that they had such success with New Japan and they're not doing anything to copy what they did. With New Japan, they're trying to do something totally different. I mean, there have to be and don't you want there to be stardom fans within Japan who can follow the shows that aren't in their town, uh, you know, up to the minute, you know, don't you want to have fans in Tokyo who want to watch the the show in Fukuoka or whatever, you know, Uh, that's what I find strange.
1: I mean, I I and I tweeted about this because I actually watched the Future of Stardom um, match live because it was on their YouTube. And the thing I find frustrating is, you know, to me, I'm like, okay, at least to me, people in Japan have some sort of access point. You know, they have the pay per views, which are, you know, do cost extra money over what a Stardom World subscription costs, but at least they have access to it because. I was watching this Future Stardom match, and it was on YouTube, so they had sort of the side comments, um, ability, scroll. And there were so many people, you know, watching the match saying, oh, this is, this is really great. Where can I see the rest of the show? And, you know, sometimes a company like Dragon Gate has done the same thing where they put the first match out on YouTube, and then they have the commentators say, wow, you really like this? Go to dragongate.live and you can watch the rest of the show right now. With stardom, it was, wow, this is really great. I'm really enjoying this. Where do I see the rest of the show? Oh, well, you have to wait, you know, anywhere between two and four days. Um, subscribe to stardom world. And then you just sort of have to wait. Um And it's already December 20th. So really you're only getting 10 days worth, you know, you pay for it now. And then on the first, you're going to get charged again um, for the service. And it just, to me, seems so, and there were Japanese people as well, watching the free stream. I don't know if those people then went on and bought the pay-per-view in Japan, but I was looking at the numbers and at the peak, I think just over 3,500 people were watching that free stream. If you manage to convert even a third of those people, even if you, you know, it's 1,000 people and you charge, you know, you're like, okay, this special show, it's going to be $10. That's $10,000 you just made right there from, you know, these people who are already sitting there going, wow, this is great. I want to watch this. And then the match ends and they have nothing to watch. And we're at a time in wrestling where so many companies are easily accessible. I mean, you're thinking about on that same night that the Stardom show was, there was a big, you know, Dragon Gate show and you have big Noah shows happening and Tokyo Joshi and DDT, which are on Wrestle Universe. And I fear that people... At the moment, you have the people interested. You have to then convert them to do, you know, to get on the service to watch. You can't say, "Well, it'll be in two and two to four days," because in two to four days, a lot of people probably have moved on. They they started watching the Dragon Gate show. They started watching this other show, and they go, "Uh, you know, now I'm into this." And it's been a couple days, and people were all over Twitter spoiling the show, so I already know what happened. So, really, I'm going to move on. It just doesn't. Makes sense to me. And as you say, it isn't like it's technology that no one has thought of. Almost every company at some point in Japan has live streamed something. I mean, only a few days later, only three days later, Seedling, you know, live streamed their show, you know, on the 23rd. It was easy to get on. You know, it was $30. So it is, you know, a cost, an extra cost. But it was easy to log on. You put in your credit card information. Great. Here it is. You can watch it live or it's available immediately after the show ends. And that's the other thing. If we couldn't see the shows live, but then the next day they said, here's the replay. Um, it's up, you know, two hours after the show ends or something. That even might be different. But these shows, they're like, oh, yeah, the show's over. Um actually, we don't know when the shows, you know, it's like you have to sit on stardom world hitting refresh. Oh, will the show be up today? Don't know. I mean, if you're not a fan of the product, you're not going to be sitting on stardom world going, okay, refresh, refresh, refresh. It just, it, it seems. I keep thinking there must be a reason why they're doing it this way. And I can't think of a reason. (laughs)
2: Yeah, that's my thing. It just seems like they're making it harder to be a fan <laughs> rather than easier at every turn. So it's that's hard for me to understand. Uh, all that said, I really enjoyed this show, so I'm excited to talk about it. It, frankly, this like trio of shows has kind of reinvigorated uh, my my stardom interest. So uh, I'm excited to hear uh, what you have to say, uh, Taylor. So in the as we talked about the future of stardom, title three way match kick off the show uh saya ida defeated micah and saya kamitani ida pinned saya to uh, become your new future of stardom champion
1: yeah i uh really enjoyed this match um i think part of it was as i said i was watching on youtube and it's also very exciting to me to watch a stardom show that isn't you know, filmed by someone just below the bottom rope with no commentary. I was like, wow, commentary, this is exciting. And you don't realize, you know, you watch all these shows, no commentary, no commentary, and you sort of get used to it. And then I watched this show with commentary, and I was like, oh, man, even though I don't speak Japanese, and I don't under, you know, I speak a little bit of it, I don't understand really much of what they're saying. But even the emotion of just having someone there watching it and, and reacting, You know we've had these crowds that can only clap, which I think has hurt all of almost all of wrestling, um, in both stardom and outside. Um, And so it was just exciting to me. I thought Sayeeda looked really good. She hit the um, sunset uh, power bomb um, from the top rope, and then hit that swinging i don't know if it's swinging or flipping uh ddt which i thought looked really great so i thought it was a a super fun match a good match to show to on youtube to get people interested because it did get people interested people were in the comments saying wow this is really good i'm really enjoying it so you know as we talked about disappointing they couldn't do anything with that enjoyment after the match was over but you know i thought it was a very good match
2: yeah, it was absolutely excellent match. Uh I went 4 stars on it. I kind of think, you know, the way they've worked this little future of stardom division, which is basically these 3, uh but it's really provided a, an injection of excitement, I think, for the promotion and for the undercard. You know, for years the Stardom undercard, which is not dissimilar from other uh other promotions, was just kind of like You know, undercard stuff and like everybody else on the card will just throw like a whatever match on at the beginning. And it's been nice, I think, to start these shows uh, with these matches. You know, they've been fortunate that they have these three who are all uh, quite good and young. So they can kind of feature them in this way and have them fight for something. You know, it really gives stakes to the uh, to the bottom of the card. And that was a a theme throughout this show, I think, of like they, they did a better job on this show. Uh, other than some of the other big shows of injecting stakes uh, throughout the card in a way uh, that I'm sure we'll talk about later. Uh, after the pro after the match, rather uh, Ida cut a promo. She said, you can only hold this belt if you have under two years experience, she's almost at two. So she was asking if it could be changed to three years. And I guess we're supposed to understand that that uh, request was approved. Uh I'm not sure who else on the roster this brings into the mix for the title, but uh you know with an increased roster generally, I think it makes a lot of sense because you can you can give something important uh for people to do at the bottom of the card and not just, you know, for the top two titles.
1: Yeah, and I think Stardom for many years has had I think sort of a running joke has been, "Oh my god, why does Stardom have so many titles?" And now, finally, you know, one good thing about – we've talked about this roster has really exploded in size. And I think one good thing has been that it – now it seems like the number of titles in the promotion now fits the number of people in the promotion. So, so I think it makes it more exciting, especially for these lower car titles like the Future of Stardom title, like the High Speed title. That have sort of been, you know, had their ups and downs. To have a more sizable roster, to, you know, challenge and and make interesting matchups.
2: Uh, were you surprised that Ida? Well, I kind of view her as like the third most important prospect of these three. Uh, so I definitely wasn't expecting her to win. Um. Well. It's funny because I feel with
1: Sayaka Matani that it almost feels like the company changes their mind on her sort of on, you know, every couple of weeks. You know, I think, oh, man, you know, they're behind her now. They're putting her on Assemble. She's doing the Phoenix Splash. You know, they're really getting her big or she's, you know, it, it, up on the t- you know, with the tag tagging. um, And then all of a sudden it'll be like, oh, and then she's here and she loses to Saeida at the very, you know, in the opening match. So it's very hard for me to get a read on what they really think they have with her. You know, part of me feels like at times she's sort of been in that Utami role where Utami came in and quickly, you know, you realize, oh, Utami's going to be a big player in this company. Um, But then at other times I think, oh, they just see her and they think, okay, she's very young and she has a while to go so we can just, you know, do whatever with her and she can lose. So I don't have a good read on that. I think it's clear that the company does see a lot in Micah. Uh, So it made sense to me that she, quote unquote, lost the match without being pinned. And then the stuff that happened later on the card so it seemed clear to me that this was sort of a stopover for her to say, "Okay, we'll give now. You're a title holder in the company. You know, you've accomplished this. You've had a little time with the belt. You've won some title matches, and now we can start heating you up." Um, but I think the thing I'm most confused about is is where does Kamatani fit currently and going forward? You know, what is what does her career look like at the end of 2021? I don't know.
2: Yeah, I was thinking earlier today about like how relatively pushed she is. I mean, she was a a tag champion and, you know, it's like she is more pushed, but we'll talk about this later. Uh, She's more pushed than than Momo, I would say at this point, which seems very strange. So uh, and she's not ready. I mean, we saw actually, I think that's in the uh, on the Corrigan show, but she had a a dive that really went uh, awry. <laughs> so, and we see that quite a bit from her, which is fine. She's very new to wrestling, but she may be, uh, may be slightly overpushed for her current ability.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about on the show how she's, she, you know, I've talked about it a lot, that she has a lot of athletic ability, and I think that presents a different challenge than a lot of young wrestlers who are learning how to, I think in ways be more athletic Um, part of her thing is she has all this athleticism. She has to learn how to sort of hone, hone it and use it rather than get more. And so that's sort of a different struggle um, and a unique struggle that she has moving forward, as opposed to someone, you know, like Ida or someone like Ruaka
2: um, would have. Okay, that's very dismissive of the sixteen year old monster and uh don't appreciate it. No, that
1: wasn't a negative. I'm just saying that them becoming better, it's a different path where one is saying, Okay, um, you know you know, one is saying, you have all this ability, but it's sort of all over the place and you're doing these moves, and you know, some of them don't quite go well, and you have Ruaka who's sort of like okay, here's learning how to, you know, get to that point. I don't know. That was, that was a poor, um, I don't know. That was a poor explanation, but I think they're just coming. It isn't a knock on either one of them. They're just coming from different places of experience and ability to begin with.
2: No, I, I agree. I was just, I, anytime I can say, (laughs) uh, the 13 or now 16 year old monster, uh, I get excited. Um, I know we've talked about this match a lot already, but I also want to talk about Micah quickly in that I think I've said previously that, and I know that your opinion is that uh, she's not terribly charismatic or hasn't shown much charisma. And I said, you know, I could see her becoming like a really high level worker, but maybe not a star because of that personality problem. I feel like that has really quickly changed for her. Like I, over these three shows, it's like oh I'm starting to see you come out of your shell and show a personality that is absolutely one that uh could become a star. So I I'm I'm changing my Mica outlook and my Mica outlook is now a future future champion.
1: Interesting. I don't know if I'm there with you yet. I do think she has gotten um a lot better in ring. I I still don't know if I see um, that sort of extra spark or connection there. But of course, I mean, we're talking about someone who just lost the future of Stardom title. So it's not someone who has to turn around. You know, she does have a title challenge, but she doesn't have to turn around tomorrow and be, you know, the complete package. Um, you know, so I, no, I'm no. still, I'm, I'm positively optimistic, but I don't think I'm as optimistic as you are.
2: I'm very optimistic suddenly on Micah. Uh, I think she, I think she might have it. We'll see. Uh, After that, there was a tag team match. Um, Let's see. Natsuko Tora and Konami versus Riho and Ruaka. Uh, Konami submitted Ruaka with the triangle lancer after Tora hit her with uh, a chair. This was a match that happened. Uh, Yes. I guess I'll fold this in here. Um,
1: So, Riho got a Queen's Quest match at year-end climax. What's, I mean, we've talked about this before, but what is going on with Riho? It just seems like she's gotten these little things where it's like, ooh, she got a jacket. Or like, ooh, she's getting a Queen Quest. But I don't see any proof outside of these sort of, you know, getting, you know, a mask or a jacket that they're going to do anything more with her. Don't you agree?
2: Yes, uh, I just ignore her basically at this point in this promotion Uh, when she's in like a vaguely fun match. I'm like, oh, that's cool to see. But she is she might as well be Ruaka in this promotion. I think until I hear on
1: um, the wonderful Everything Elite uh, podcast that she is gone from AEW, I'm not getting my hopes up for her doing really anything
2: in stardom anytime soon. Uh, I think uh, a it's great to get all your news from the everything elite podcast B I mean the it comes down to the fact that she has done much more important stuff in choco Pro than she's done in stardom so there's just no reason to believe she's gonna do anything of consequence here uh, another tag match after this one uh himika and Natsupoi versus Saki Kashima and B Priestley uh himika Pensaki. With the running power bomb, um, I don't have too much to say about the match itself.
1: Um, probably good for Himika to get a win after she's been on a little bit of a, a skid lately. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's about all I've got.
2: <laughs> kind of a weird match for me. Like it started out with Himika basically as like the the baby face in peril, like in the Ricky Morton role. You know, I thought that was strange. And Notts Boy got like the hot tag. <laughs> uh, but then like Notts Boy was barely in the match. Just a weird match. Uh, but I guess my biggest takeaway was after the match, they're they're exiting. And, you know, Notts Boy has that just super extreme white meat baby face type energy. And Himika like trying to like smile with her or whatever. And just like, I don't know, Himica's supposed to be a little a little rough around the edges, I think. And so it's kind of, I'm like, what is this? uh, What is this unit? What is this unit supposed to be? And what's the, what's the vibe of this unit? Yeah. Big on vibes. (laughs) Big
1: on vibe. Aaron, big (laughs) on vibes. Uh, Bentley.
2: Yeah. The B Uh, stands for big on vibes.
1: (laughs) I sort of feel the same way in many ways. It feels like, you know, we've sort of talked about Oedo Tai was missing B. Priestley for a long time. You know, Jamie Hayter is not able to get in the country. And it feels a little bit like Donna Del Mundo sort of became the Oedo Tai, sort of the the cool um, you know, fan favorite, even though they weren't ba- they're not baby faces. Um But they've sort of slid into this position of, I think they clearly were trying to start out as heels, but they've slid into a weird sort of middle zone where they're not heels, but they're not um, babyfaces either, I don't think, although they seem to be moving more and more in that direction. Um, And if they keep going in that direction, it will be interesting because I think someone like Himeka – in the group was brought in to sort of be like, we're the heel unit and here's our big enforcer who's going to be tough and, you know, beat everyone up. But if the group moves away from that sort of thought, it'll be interesting to see what happens. You know, Natsupoy could become a baby face, you know, fairly easily. And I think Shuri could as well. You know, also interesting to see what Micah does because we haven't seen a lot of personality changes from her so it'll be interesting to see what range she has as well but yeah i think it is interesting to see and as julia sort of gets bigger and bigger to see what ends up happening with this group
2: next up was the match i know uh, you were most looking forward to taylor for the high-speed title uh azumi defeated mei hoshizuki with a roll-up
1: Yeah, I thought this was a great match. You know, it was not the best version of of the match I think they could have. I think part of that is, you know, its position on the card. It got less than 11 minutes. But I think for what they had, I think it was a really good match. It was a really fun match and I think very importantly, you know, the high speed title is one of those titles where it's sort of had a strange history where it's called high speed. It's had holders that I think People would not qualify as high speed. It's just sort of become another title to be defended in Starnum. But I appreciated that if you watch this match, you could very easily say this is a high-speed match. They were going high energy for almost the whole time. You know, the roll-ups, Aaron, I'm interested to see what you think of the the sort of roll-up battle at the end because I know previously – Uh, the marvelous match at Assemble. They did a similar thing that you weren't really into, but I like the sort of vibe of quick pace, you know, trying to get a pin, trying to win. Hey, I'm I'm the vibes
2: guy here. Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) Uh,
1: uh, I'm your big vibes. I'm small vibes. Um, (laughs) And so I really enjoyed it. It wasn't the, it wasn't the peak, you know, I went four and a quarter. I thought it was good, but it was still pretty short and didn't quite hit the heights of what I thought it was capable of, but still a very good match. Uh
2: you have anticipated that I did not enjoy the uh the, the flash pen uh segment. It just it felt endless. I was like. Hmm. It's just not for me. That style is not for me. So that's all I'll say. <laughs>
1: Although I also think part of it, at least for this match. Um, is that it also enables y- you to have one person lose without having to take a finishing move or something like that, where you can just say, Oh, well they were going pin for pin and it just happened that Meiho Shizuki lost. So I do think that probably also factors into the decision to do a finish like that, as opposed to the the marvelous match at assemble, which probably you could have had whoever lose to whoever else in that match, so yeah.
2: All right, the next match we had an Artist of Stardom title elimination match. uh The Cosmic Angels team of Mina Shirakawa, Tom, Tom Nakano, and Unagi Sayaka defeated the Stars team of Mayu Iwatani, Starlight Kid, and Gokigen Death. The final elimination was Mina pinning Death uh, to to get the big win. So. Um, Taylor, what did uh, I, I? You have suggested that you got some big thoughts on this match, so I'm I'm pretty intrigued. So here's the thing: I thought this match was
1: totally and completely lame. I thought it was terrible. Wow. Um, my thing is, you have this sort of new fledgling unit, the Cosmic Angels. You know, you're building them up. They win the titles at the Corican. They have this big elimination title match against their former stablemates, which they win by eliminating two of the members by just sort of pushing them lightly um, from the apron. And the third member they eliminate is a person who almost never wins any matches. And then Mayu and Starlight Kid get on the mic and go, well, that was stupid because you, uh, you know, Mayu said, oh, I didn't even break a sweat because you just pushed me over the top rope. And Starlight Kid then gets on the mic and is like, yeah, that that was stupid. You want to go again because we already beat you, you know, whenever that was last week or two weeks ago with Saya Ida. I just thought it was a, it was a terrible way to... It's almost like this match should have been first... And then the match where they win the titles, you know, the artists or Stardom titles should have been on this show where they get the definitive sort of, hey, now we're a unit and we're going to, you know, we got to get better. And, oh, look, we beat this team. We pin them in the center of the ring, you know, with no doubt. Instead, it's just like, oh, Mayu climbs to the top rope. Whoop, I pushed her. Like, I'm like, I get the -the over-the-top rope. Rule in the Cinderella tournament, for example, because you have people wrestling multiple matches, and so the thought is, well, I, you know, I need to, get, you know, get this person out because I might have to wrestle, you know, two, three, however many more matches, for the rest of the night. But this just seemed—it just seemed like it was like, well, this this new unit that we have, they really, you know, showed stars that they're very powerful by pushing two of them, you know, like starlight kid was sitting on the apron and they were like, Woop. and it's just uh, it, these big shows with these unit matches. You know, we talked about the unit, this band, the, the Tokyo cyber squad one, which I also didn't like. Cause I just think no one comes out of these matches looking any, looking any good or looking impressive at all.
2: I have to strongly disagree with basically everything you said. <laughs> Uh, I thought this was a a lot of fun. I mean, I talked earlier about stakes on this show. And I was thinking as this match began, like, ugh, no stakes here in the middle of the show. We're kind of just waiting to get to the top two matches. And then they put this little elimination match in where I thought it it, um, added a lot of fun to this part of the card for me personally. uh, I mean, I think they should address adding stakes in the middle of the card in other ways, other than just like, oh, here's an elimination match. But it did help on this show. And also, I mean, I, I disagree because, one, I think Mina Shirakawa came out of this match looking pretty good. I mean, she got the big win. Uh, you know, she's uh, the, the victor at the end of the match. I thought that looked good for her. Unfortunately, you know, we found out that at the Corquin show, she broke her nose. She's going to be out for two months. Uh, but I thought this was a good way to kind of establish Mina and then also, I, I hear what you're saying about the kind of order of these matches, but I don't think the, the ultimate feud here is is Tom versus Mayu. And so I think this kind of all plays in service to that or in service of that. Uh, so it doesn't really bother me in that way. I mean, to
1: me, look, uh, because I'm looking at the order of elimination now, it's almost like I would have had, you know, I would have had Cosmic Angels lose, but I would have done something where, like, they push Gokigen Death over the top rope. They push Starlight Kid over the top rope, and then it comes down to someone and Mayu, and they give them a little bit of time, and they do a match, and it gets close, and you have a lot of near falls, and maybe Mayu wins... And then at the end of the match, Cosmic Angels can get on the mat, you know, get on the mic and say, Look, we didn't win, but look how, you know, we were so close. You know, obviously, Mayu is the ace of the entire company. And to, instead of just pushing her over the top rope and going, Well, we got rid of her sort of in this wonky way, to have someone in the unit, and I don't know who that would be, go sort of toe to toe with her, not win but look impressive, I think would have made the unit look stronger than this unit who pushes most of the people over the top rope. And then Mayu gets on the mic immediately and says, well, I didn't even sweat because you just pushed me over the top rope. I mean, that made it even – I was like, well, she's right.
2: Well, I mean, first of all, I got to disagree that uh, you you get over more by winning than you do by losing. You look stronger if you win than if you lose. So I'm glad that Cosmic Angels won, although they turned around and had them lose at the Coric one. So in the at the end, it really doesn't make any sense. Uh, but to me, it's like Mayu saying that more gets heat for the her eventual match with Tom. And I will basically re all this when that match happens. If, if that match happens and Mayu beats Tom, then all this was very dumb. <laughs> and if it ends up in... Uh, my you putting Tom over and kind of elevating her up the card. Uh, then all this was really good. That's that's my view. Wow, some
1: interesting, uh, uh, an interesting divergent divergence mm. from us. Usually we're uh, usually we're pretty close. I feel.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm glad it's good. We hadn't discussed this at all, so it's good that we uh, had a, a different way of looking at it. After the match, uh, Tom announced that the Cosmic Angels were leaving Stars and forming a new unit. Uh, as he said, Mayu said she's going to crush Tom at Osaka-80 Arena in January. Uh, Starlight Kid wanted Shi Mayu, and Ida to challenge again for the belt since they beat this team at Shinjuku Face. Uh, Unagi wants to accept. Tom agrees. Uh, not sure. Actually, I think I saw. I didn't look at him, but the January cards have been reworked, right? Because of um, because of Mina Shirakawa's injury. So I'm not really sure what they're planning to do with all this. Although I don't think we have a card for that Osaka show yet, just the first few days of January.
1: Yeah, I think it's just the first the first three shows in January have, have at least some matches announced. And I think past that, um, there's nothing yet.
2: Okay, yeah. So I'm not sure what they're going to do since Mina is apparently going to miss uh, two months. That match is not up yet on stardom world. So I haven't seen, uh, you know, how she got injured, but I'm sure we'll see that soon enough. Uh, after this, they kind of did somewhat of an intermission where they unveiled the new stardom logo. Do you have any thoughts on the new stardom logo?
1: Um, I don't, I, I I don't hate it. It does seem to, to me, it lacks a little bit of personality. Um, just sort of saying the word stardom in this, you know, black and white font and part of, you know, this is just my personal opinion. This isn't really a a critique on the logo is that I sort of like logos, you know, that are, you know, a little bit strange, you know, one of my favorite promotions is seedling, which is, you know, obviously a very bizarre thing, but you talk about, you know, new Japan, their logo still has a big, you know, lion on it. And so uh, I understand that it's clearly a way to sort of rebrand this as a more, you know, to draw in more people. But I do understand some of the critiques that it looks sort of a little bit
2: lifeless to me. It's definitely uh, more grown up in a way. It's like the... like when I was watching some of this, uh, what's up from the year in climax on the screen in the back, they still had the old stardom logo, but then on the, on the match, you know, like the little bug up in the top left-hand corner, they had the new logo and it's like, wow, this really looks more serious, you know, or more, more grown up than the old logo. And it just depends whether that's good or bad to you, I suppose. I mean, it looks like, Exactly what happened. A big corporate company bought Stardom and then gave them a corporate logo. <laughs> That's what it looks like.
1: I mean, and at the end of the day, whatever the logo is, if the wrestling is good, I, it doesn't really matter to me. You know, if the wrestling is bad, it doesn't matter how much I like the logo. Um, it's, it's not gonna. It's not gonna make me. Wa- I, I don't really look at the logo and make decisions on whether I'm going to watch the company or not.
2: Um, so. Yeah. All right. And then they also announced uh, their Tokyo Dome participation, uh, just basically that they were going to be on the shows. Uh, we now know the matches, which of course I didn't put in the notes like a dummy, um, but um, basically the big takeaway from the they, matches.
1: They, they are in the upcoming sh- I put them in the upcoming
2: shows. Oh, did you? Okay. I Sorry. did. Yeah. That's my bad. I got you. Thank you. So, we're going to have now there are two dark matches. So, they, uh, if, if you're not going to be at the shows, you're not going to see these matches. Um, Mayu and Tom versus Julia and Shuri. That's funny since now they're working this Mayu versus Tom feud. Uh, and then a trios match with Utami, Sayakamitani, and Azami versus Himika, Micah, and Natsupoi. Uh Wow. Uh, Queen's Quest gets a trios match and Momo Watanabe is not in the match. Well,
1: the thing I found interesting, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, these matches are continuing, you know, the sort of storylines with um, Utami and Micah in a match together. But my thought is, to me, you're presenting these matches on a New Japan show where probably a large majority of the crowd doesn't watch stardom or doesn't follow them all that closely, or maybe has seen very little. And it seems a bit odd to me not to put Utami, who is now your top champion in what to me reads as the bigger of the two matches, which is this Mayu, Julia, Shuri, Tom match, just because that's the person currently you're trying to heat up. And it seems weird to go to a place where you're going to have a lot of eyes on your product and say, okay, here are the big four people in our company. And also here's our champion. Who's down in this match, you know, teaming with Sayaka Matani, who we talked about really has received an uneven push and Azumi, who is sort of in that mid card level, you know, high speed title. So that to me was the, was the weirdest part of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, to me, especially if you look at at the match they put on for last year, it makes more sense for Utami to be in uh, the the tag match, and and then you could have just had Momo in the the trios match. Uh, but because I know- in
1: continuing storylines, your continuing story, you know, the people at home are not going to see this maybe at all, or maybe they'll see it much later because there are dark matches. They didn't air last year during Wrestle Kingdom. You know, you're in a venue. People aren't going to be, you know, probably sitting, paying 100% focus. So to me, what's going on in your company currently is less important. Obviously, you don't want to break, you know, you don't want to put heels and faces together or, or things like that. But I just think for the top match, you want to say, who are the top four people that we really want to get over now? And here they are. I think Mayu, Julia, Shuri is a good three, but I just would have put Utami in instead of Tom.
2: Yes, or, I mean, I could be convinced that you should put Utami in instead of Shuri, Uh, but Utami should be in the match. And it's, yeah, storylines. Well, they're putting Mayu and Tom on a team together, and they are now feuding with each other, so... Uh, that also doesn't make much sense. But anyway, obviously, I am who I am, and I'm just pissed off about the uh, the Momo thing. So I'll just continue uh, being me, basically, is what I'm going to do here. Uh, OK, and then the, the top two matches on the show, uh, Julia versus Shuri, a double title match for the S.W.A. title and the Wonder of Stardom title. And, uh, you know, to essentially no one's surprise, it went to a 30 minute draw.
1: Yeah. 30 minute draw. Uh, we talked about it on the last show. Um, this was a, an interesting match for me. I thought that uh, large portions of it were very well worked. Um, this was the match where I had the saw, same thought you did, Aaron, where I said, wow, Julia is really a great, you know, worker. I thought a lot of it was very exciting Um, But I think it was hurt by, obviously, that I figured it would go to a time limit draw. And after a certain point in the match, it seemed very obvious it was going to go to a time limit draw. And also, I felt like the match, after a certain point of time, sort of stopped building and was just sort of two people doing moves to each other to get to a 30-minute, you know, to get to the time limit. It didn't feel like it was you know, the story was moving or it was building or anything. So I went three and three quarters um, because I liked it, but there was a lot that sort of held it back for me. Um, I think mainly hampered by, as I said, the time limit draw and the fact that I sort of knew the time limit draw was coming.
2: Yeah. I thought this was basically an excellent version of a match style that I really don't like. Uh, which is just like an epic match for the sake of being epic. There's really no storyline reason for it to be, you know, uh, an epic 30 minute main event style match. They just feel like they have to do that for some reason. Uh, and, and, you know, they book themselves into this problem by making it a double title match. When like, to me, there's no reason Julia can't beat Churi. Uh, Julia is your top champion. It's no, no, uh, you know, negative to Shuri to lose to to Julia, I don't think. So I don't, I wouldn't have minded that at all. Uh, I still thought, like I said, even though I don't like the match style, it was an excellent version of that match. Uh, I still went about four stars on it. Uh, you know, I liked the story with Julia's, uh, the work on Julia's back, stopping her from probably getting the win. Uh, Shuri's back fist to basically end the match, I thought was super sick. Uh, so it was a really good match. It was just like, Yeah, I knew from minute one that it was going for 30 minutes and um, it's hard for me to care about it uh, when that happens. Uh, And especially just in that style of match. And, you know, I think that working that style of match right before this Utami Momo match hurt it, hurt the Utami Momo match, because that match had a reason to be epic. They have this like really, um, this really earned feud between the two of them, you know, this history between the two of them that lends itself to needing this like epic blow off, right? They've gone uh, one, one, and one in their three matches. This is, uh, I know it's the fourth match, but a rubber match, you know, to really uh, set off who's the better of the two. And so to have a match right before it where you work that style for 30 minutes, uh, I think was just a bad way of laying out the card. Uh, But all that said, uh, as you also said, I thought it was a really good match. Uh, That did lead us into the main event uh, for the World of Stardom title. Utami Hayashishta defeated Mumu Watanabe. Um, Because this was, you know, the pay-per-view, they didn't put the name of the move, and I can never remember the name of the move, but basically a spinning razor's edge.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, so I... I guess my feelings on this match are sort of complicated. Um, I didn't love the match. I didn't dislike the match. Um, I just sort of fell in the middle. I think I probably would have gone like three and a half. Um, I think, well, one big drawback was at no point did I think Momo was going to win. I thought that there was, you know, that was a 0% chance which always hurts the match a lot for me but i think there is something about utami that for me personally i i'm missing a a connection to her or i'm missing some sort of defining thing about her that i can hook onto and get really invested in and i think some of it is sort of the style of the way stardom books these which is largely i am the champion i beat the challenger out comes another challenger i want to challenge you great we're gonna do a match there's it feels like there's so few stardom matches that have that sort of extra oomph behind it you know thinking of like a Yuka Sakazaki versus Mizuki, which is obviously was built over a very long time. But just to me, I'm missing the connection to Utami that makes me really root for her. Not that I'm rooting against her, but I just sort of feel very in the middle on her. And I think that sort of hurts her matches a lot when I don't, and especially this match where I thought, well, there's no chance he's losing. So I'm not really going, oh, my gosh, is she going to you know, lose? So to me, it just I watched the match. I was like, yeah, it was good. But, you know. That's that. And I've finished it and I turned it off and, you know, didn't really think much more
2: about it. Uh, so this if we had recorded the award show this week, this would have been my number one match of the year wow (laughs) i adored this match uh i all it was hurt a little bit by by the fact that i knew momo was not going to win but i just thought it was worked perfectly man that uh the early leg work uh that momo kind of shook off and then dominated i mean momo got most of the the large percentage of the offense in this match um and frankly, she's better on offense than Utami is, so that, that worked uh, for the match. Uh, and they had all these little things built in. Momo getting out of the way of that, uh, that drop kick, you know, when she runs off the ropes. And, you know, it's like the classic spot that you've seen a million times, but Momo, you know, jumps out of the way. Uh, I was like, okay, this is a really good match. I'm really enjoying this a lot. And then when uh, Utami kicked out of the Peach Sunrise, And Momo lost her mind and just started kicking Utami in the head repeatedly. That really uh, put it over the edge for me of like, I don't know. You just see all that, all that frustration in Momo. And, you know, I appreciate that a lot of this is headcanon, but that does, frankly, it just plays into your enjoyment of a match sometimes, you know, it's like in my mind, Momo is watching this person who came in after her rise above her and and outshine her in her own unit that she's supposed to be the leader of. And she sees, you know, Utami getting this big match that that she doesn't uh she's not getting it at, at uh Wrestle Kingdom. And it's like, fucking not just that, I, I can't even beat you with my finishing move. You know, and she that really causes her to lash out and uh could certainly be argued leads to her losing because then she goes for it again and utami reverses it um and that ultimately leads to utami hitting her finish uh and winning the match uh but i just thought the whole story of everything you know from that big match uh in new york uh whatever that was a couple years ago a year ago whenever that was uh two years ago i guess uh from that to um everything that i was just describing about like kind of their diverging stories uh to this it all kind of culminated here uh in a match that uh, i absolutely loved all right after the match micah challenged utami for the january 10th uh anniversary show utami accepted so we'll have utami and micah they also have a 1-1-1 one, one, one series so uh, that should be a fun match i really liked the other matches that they've had.
1: Yeah, it should be interesting to see, you know, Micah in a in a very big spot uh and see you know how well she does in that match.
2: All right, that's the Osaka show. Uh they also had the 1226 Korakun the uh the only well, I guess you had the trios match, which was not for the artist titles, uh, but Julia Micah, and Shuri defeated the Cosmic Angels team. So I, I don't really uh, understand that in any way, but I haven't seen it yet. And then you know the big match was the uh, the title change. The uh, Queens Quest team of Saya Kamitani and Utami Hayashita lost uh, their tag titles. The Oedotai team of B Priestley and Konami won. Uh, Konami submitted Saya. With a triangle arm lock shortly after B hit Utami with a chair. Uh, a, a good match. I know, um, Taylor, I don't think you have a chance to see it yet. It's a good match, but it's like the Oedo Tai stick is just not over, even with, you can even tell with like the clap crowds that they just are not really that interested in it. Uh, but I'm happy to see this is like a little different, right? It's nice in the main titles to have something a little different and Konami and B. Part of that and a fun little team that I enjoy outside of, uh, you know, the chair shots and everything.
1: Well, and it also makes sense now that Utami has a singles title um, that she doesn't need. She doesn't particularly need the tag titles anymore, so it is good to get it on that Oedo Tai team because I think that Oedo Tai has had a, a tricky year, and maybe having those tag titles will um, help shore them up a little bit. That's certainly my hope um, for
2: 2021. All right. Well, that's uh, the stardom portion of the show. Let's run in through the, uh, the spark notes segment, Taylor. Tell us what else has been going on around the world of Joshi.
1: Yeah. So not a ton um, to talk about, but seedling, um, as I mentioned early on the show, had a show um, from Shinjuku face on the 23rd. The big news from that was Nanae Takahashi returning uh, to the ring for the first time in um, about a year. I think her last match was January, somewhere around there. Um, she teamed with her match, max voltage teammate Ryu Mizunami uh, to take on Yoshiko and Seri uh, for the tag titles. That was a fun match. Um, the other big sort of moment from that show, um, Riku Riko Kaiju Joined the selfish Strawberries um, after she and Honorihana lost to them. Uh, she became a little frustrated and joined the selfish Strawberries. So that's something interesting to look out for. We talked about on the last episode. You know, we don't know what the future holds for these seedling rookies. So always interesting to see what the what the story is there. That is that show is up on Seedling Live. I believe it's seedlinglive.com. Um the on demand is available. It's three thousand yen until I believe December thirtieth. So
2: only a few more days. Um I, I was, I was... oh, I'm sorry, Taylor. No, go ahead. I was just saying I was thinking about this uh this week. We talked about most or best rookie last week. And I looked this up relative to the uh observer calendar, and Micah is technically a rookie, and we didn't throw her in the mix at all so we probably should have
1: oh interesting i guess i was thinking of 2020 and i knew that you know i think she had debuted before
2: yeah the she was it's september or
1: something what is it
2: yeah the observer calendar is september one of 2019 Uh, no. no 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 i read this wrong i read this wrong she debuted in may so yeah i was i was way off oh yeah, I was going to say it feels like she's been around longer than that, but. I take all that back. I mean, she had two matches before September right. of of last year, but yeah, sorry. I'll, let's all pretend I didn't say that. Okay, and rewind. Anyway, um,
1: it's up on Seedling Live. Um, if you like Seedling, you know, it's not a blow away um, show of the year candidate, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, and if you like ceiling and you want to support them and hope that they do more shows like this, uh, go check it out. Um, just a few other things. Uh, Diana had a show on December 19th. Ayako Sato successfully defended her title against Hanako Nakamori from Pure J. Um, actress Girls had a show on the 20th where Micah Ozaki and Tehanma defeated Momokogo and Momotani in the second round of their tag tournament um, that's been going on. Wave, big news in Wave. They had a show just today, um, a few hours before we record this. Uh, Boss Tumami uh, defeated Hibiki and Seri, who won that tag tournament. Um, they retained their tag titles. And Sakura Hiroda. Uh, defeated Nagisa Nosaki to win the Regina De Wave. Um, so that's uh, two things that happened. Um, and then Choco Pro started their fifth season, season five. They've only had two shows, um, one of which was a Christmas show that took place on Christmas Day, which was fun. So that is what has been going on in the world of joshi so aaron should we talk about what's coming up in joshi
2: we most certainly should let's uh, We might as well get it started with uh the big shows you think and then we'll cover everything else that sounds like a great plan to me (laughs) all right tokyo joshi pro 1-4 this is making me so sad because i was there last year and i won't be this year i'll be at my stupid house watching this show uh, it's on Wrestle Universe, so go subscribe if you haven't watched this live. Uh, I'm sure people will be tweeting about it. So uh, the opening match, Marika Kobashi and Moka Miyamoto versus Pam Harajuku and Haruna Neiko. Uh Yeah, we will get to see Aaron and I's favorite
1: um, wrestling attire. That's right. Uh, Moka Miyamoto. Uh, yeah, you know, sort of some of these lower card matches, not too much to say, but should be a fun um, should be a fun match and it's always interesting to see, you know, in these big spots, how, how the wrestlers
2: step up and, and really deliver. This is probably not the opening match, is it? I'm looking at this order here and it looks, yes, I not.
1: will say that this is not, it isn't in, uh, they haven't, I don't think they've announced the match order yet. Um, but this will probably be one of the, one of the opening, one of the lower card matches.
2: Um, uh, we'll also, this will be one of the lower card matches, I would assume, the uh, Arisu Endo debut match. She's debuting against Suzume. Yeah, an interesting s- spot for Suzume uh, getting the new uh,
1: debut. Uh, Risu Endo was or is part of the same, um, I believe, idol group that Reika Saiki uh, was in for a while. So I know that she's been getting some advice. On wrestling, always interesting to see these uh, Tokyo Joshi debuts because you never quite know, you know, what's their personality going to be like. What is their character going to be? You know, with so many different personalities in the company, it's always interesting to see someone new come in. As and as I've said, now they've you know had a few people leave uh, to go to Stardom. Certainly, uh, there is room on this roster for for someone to come in and
2: impress. Uh, Shoko Nakajima versus uh, Hyper Masao. This is a a rematch of sorts from last year's 1-4 show where they had the match where whoever lost lost their name and had to go by a new name for a period of time.
1: Yeah, and it should be, you know, Hyper Masao is always uh, very good on these shows very good in these single matches i'm sure it will be uh almost no matter what the outcome of the match is i'm sure it will be one of the more memorable uh matches on the card
2: absolutely i know uh the one from last year was uh saki sama and may saw michelle versus hikari noah and sena shiori if my memory serves me correctly sena shiori debuted on this show last year so uh we get to see kind of her growth over the year. Yeah, this match I think it'll be very good.
1: I think Kakari Noah, as I've talked about on the show, uh, very good. Maisan, Michelle and, Michel, uh, and Saki Sama also very good and gelling as a, a new team. So this is one. This is one of the matches I'm definitely looking most forward to.
2: I was going to say this might be. Well, it's not my most anticipated match, but it's certainly high on the uh, high on the list. Uh, Aja Kong returns for another uh, six-woman match, teaming with Mizuki and Raku to take on Miyu Watanabe, Nao Kakuta, and Mirai Mayumi.
1: Yeah, some interesting uh, teams here. Um, Interesting to see uh, what what happens with Aja Kong. And also, a lot of people here who I think could have, you know, it could end up being that Aja Kong just, gets the win and that's that. But I think there's a lot of people in this match who um, could use a win and it would be interesting to see get a win. So I will definitely be paying attention to who um, comes out of this match victorious, gaining the pin for their team, because I think it could be a big boost uh, for their 2021.
2: I mean, the thing I'm most looking forward to is uh, seeing Aja Kong do the Goodnight Express, of course. Uh, but- you look at some of these folks, especially Mizuki Raku, Watnabe, It's like you, I'd like to see them higher up the card, really, in in more in in matches with with bigger stakes. Now,
1: Aaron, it's interesting that you're exciting to you're excited to see the Goodnight Express saying that you admitted on this very program that you uh, are anti Raku. Okay, um, <laughs> that's
2: that's a little far.
0: <laughs> I, I love like it. it.
1: I I do agree, but I think that part of it is actually sort of a a, uh, positive thing for Tokyo Joshi in that they do now have a lot of people who they can put at the top of cards. And now that they have a lot of people who they can put at the top of cards, it's, you know, it's not always going to be guaranteed that you're, you know, that everyone is going to get up up there for every show and for every big show. So, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I think you can look at it as a positive in that, um, you know, Tokyo Joshi is definitely growing um, and gaining talent.
2: All right. The business end of the card. Uh, This is probably the match I'm most looking forward to. Miyu Yamashita versus Maki Ito. Yes. And uh, Maki pinned Miyu last night, right? She did with a new, I believe it's a figure four
1: pinning combination i think is what it was called i don't know if it has a name yet Um, it it does
2: Hold on, i'll find it
1: um, but it was very interesting because that the the match they just had people were people were saying oh it's a bit strange to run a match you know especially of this caliber and run it again i think that match was picked because it was a draw it was sort of a fan draw um situation but now i think that gives you know, this match a little bit more juice to see if Maki can, you know, sort of, you know, not a total upset, but pull the upset twice in a row, especially on a on a big stage. Um, you know, this one four show for Tokyo Joshi definitely draws in um, the fans and a lot of people who are checking it out for the first time. So hopefully, um, this will be a, a
2: very, very good match. The Ito Royale is the name of the move. Interesting. <laughs> See, it's, I thought coming into it that like Maki, Ito you know, needed to win the match. You know, they, they have a history, uh, and Miyu has come out on top, but this, her beating, uh, Maki beating Miyu last night, kind of, I don't know, changes my whole, it screws up my whole world. I'm like, uh, I don't, now I have no idea what's happening in this match.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you see Miu as someone, you know, we talked about like Mayu Iwatani being someone who can lose and sort of withstand it. Do you see Miu on that level now that she's been sort of without the title for a, for a good amount of time now, or do you think that she's someone who has to, you know, win on some sort of regular basis
2: to sort of keep up her aura? Well, it's kind of interesting because she – let's see. When did she lose the title?
1: It was a long long time ago, ago, right? She lost it – was it like a year and a half ago?
2: Uh, I'm trying to find out where she lost the title. But it felt like one of those things where she was going to, like, go away from the title for a little bit. You know, she had that series with Natsumi Maki, It's like, okay, she'll kind of do some other stuff before she gets back into the mix. But uh, she still hasn't gotten back into the mix, (laughs) you know? So it's kind of surprising. Oh, well, what a dummy. Uh, Yeah, I I was there for the match. Yeah, Yuka Sakazaki defeated Miyu Yamashita uh, 1-4 last year. So she's been uh, away from the title for a full calendar year and hasn't really featured that heavily at the top of the card. So... Um. <sighs> wait, is that wait? Hold on. Is that one four last
1: year? No, one. Hold on. One four last year. Oh, no. Miu won were the
2: champion during that match. We sound like real M- dummies, right?
1: Mu lost it in in May of 2019 to Shoko Nakajima. So it was a year and a half ago. I okay, mean, so she's a little blown- over a year and a half ago.
2: That's right. So she's been away from the title for a very long time. Um, So what I'm saying is there was a time where I thought, no, you could beat her and elevate some other people. But it's starting to, like, come back around to where it's like you need to, to heat her back up. Yeah, she also seems like someone who, if, you know...
1: Covid were not happening if people could travel, she, that she might be served going to somewhere like AEW, like Yuka did, um, you know, just to get her somewhere different. She's not in the promotion having to lose, but I do think she's sort of on the border of is she now just becoming sort of a nice name in the upper mid card. You know, for people to gain, as you know, oh, now I've beaten so and so, but how long can you sort of do that until you say, well, yeah, you beat them, but so has everyone else. So yeah, it's it's hard to say. I I think we'll find out. You know, if Maki wins this match again and beats her twice in a row, I guess we'll see. I, I guess we'll see if she still does have that aura.
2: All right, then we got the Princess Tag Team titles, uh, Noroka Tenma and Yuki Aino versus Yuki Kamafuku and Mahiro Kiru. Uh, Of course, the the Bakaretsu sisters are the champions. Uh, I mean, could we see Kamiyu pick up another title in Tokyo Joshi Pro this year? Hmm.
1: (laughs) I I feel a little bit torn, but also part of me thinks, well, they're not going to have the Bakaretsu sisters lose the title after you know, it's been about two months or it will have been about two months at that point. Um, I, I mean, I think it would be interesting if they did win, you know, if Yuki and Mahira did win, but mm, no, I, I, I think uh, the Bakuretsu sisters retain the, I think they retain the titles.
2: And then we've got the big, uh Princess of Princess title match Yuka Sakazaki defending the title against Rika Tatsumi. Uh, this does not feel like a one where there feel like one where there's gonna be a title change to me.
1: Yeah, I um bet against Yuka at Wrestle Princess, and it turned out I was wrong, so this time I will not do that. Um, yeah, I think I think Yuka uh remains champion, but I think it'll be um obviously an excellent match big stakes in a big venue two good wrestlers so uh this is one i'm very very excited for all right what's the what's the time on this
2: one when does it start
1: the, on our episode
2: no no this oh. show <laughs> <laughs> um i'm just gonna tell people when they can uh to for it hold on let me this was
1: bad. It it's should've... usually it's usually around the noon um, time. Hold on, I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to tell you right now. Nope, I'm not going to
2: tell you right now.
1: <laughs> oh boy, this is good. Yeah, I,
2: this is good. I'm loaded up. Of... Okay, yeah. Gong gong time is eleven thirty. Okay. Uh, so that'll be nine thirty. Nine thirty in uh, Eastern Standard Time. So 9 30 PM at Eastern times. So yeah. Like that's a great time to, uh, watch wrestling. Watch. what Taylor, a good, a great time to tune in and watch
1: wrestling. Absolutely.
2: Okay. Uh, the other uh, bigger show that's going on soon is ice ribbons, ribbon mania show. Uh, this is on December 31st, 1130 Japan time. So also nine thirty. uh, Eastern time. And that's a Nico pay-per-view.
1: Yeah, it will be on Nico. This is a, a fun show. We get to uh, talk about Nanai Takahashi again, who was announced as X. They had an X for the show. Um, there will be a six person tag, Hamako Hoshi, Tsukasa Fujimoto and Nanai Takahashi against Rina Yamashita, Ibuki Hoshi and Haruka Sakushi. Um, they also have three title matches, uh, Risa Sarah versus Akane Fujita in the Fantast ice title match, which is going to be a four corner match. I believe that's what it is. Uh, the tag title match will be Kurumi Hiragi and Mochi Miyagi versus Mayuki and Mika Ozaki. That should be fun. And then the uh, main event, um, Title match. Suzu Suzuki will defend her title against Sayori. Uh, no, that one is one I'm super looking forward to. Very excited um, to see the show. Cause I think that should be uh, a really excellent match. So definitely worth checking out. I believe it's either 1500. I think it might be 1500 yen for subscribers to the ice ribbon, Nico and 2000 yen for non-subscribers. Um, to Nico, but definitely worth checking out um, those, those uh, ice ribbon pay-per-views are usually a lot of fun, and this is their obviously big year-ending show, so something definitely worth checking out. Um, and then there's just a few other um, shows to talk about. Stardom starts their year off uh, with three days in a row of shows on the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. The third actually has a Siri momo singles match um, only 15 minute time limit. Um, so very possible. They go to that uh, very familiar time limit draw, but should be a good match. And then it's obviously
2: draws in stardom, by the way,
1: you're preaching to the, <laughs> you're preaching to the choir there. Um, I think this is, you know, I have no data on this, but I can't imagine there's been any other year in Stardom's history where they've done as many time limit draws as they've done this year. Seems like there's almost one every show.
2: Uh, let me call out another fun match on the second uh, Utami Hayashida versus Unagi Sayaka. That sounds interesting. Just something we haven't seen.
1: Yeah, and then on one five, as we talked about, uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, Stardom will have their um, dark matches. Again, those at least won't air on New Japan World. They may be put up at a later time by someone, but there's no guarantee of that, so we'll see. Uh, Sendai Girls and Marvelous are making up that uh, Road to Gaiaism show that was supposed to happen at Korokin. That is going to happen on January 10th at Shinjuku Face. Um, and it will have that seven versus seven. Uh, it'll be a blind draw, seven singles matches, seven people from Sendai and seven people from Marvelous. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, Actress Girls has a show on December 30th. Uh, Saki and Akari Shimizu versus Tei Hanma and Maika Ozaki, uh, which is the tag tournament semifinal. And then finally, Wave. Has their monthly show on the first January 1st, and they will have a battle royal to determine what the card is. So that the battle royal, the only match announced for the show, and then once the battle royal is done, that will determine what the rest of the card looks like. And then Choco Pro has two shows um, to wrap up this year a show on December 30th and one on the 31st. The one on the 31st has an Asia Dream tag title match between uh, the reset team of Emi Sakura and Kairi Yonayama versus the best bros of Balianaki and, and May Saruga. So, still, uh, even though we're coming to the end of the year, a lot of Joshi to look forward to.
2: All right. Well, I guess that's everything that we had planned to talk about for today. We'll be back in two weeks. Um, not sure what the big show is going to be for us to talk about uh, on that, but I'm sure we'll look back at uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro's 1-4 show, even though it'll be a little old at that point. Uh, and I'm sure Ribbon Mania will get a mention, but we'll see uh, what else happens over the next two weeks. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at Audio. I'm at Aaron like the car. Taylor's at TayMambo. Uh, subscribe to the show, please, on whatever podcast app you use. If that's the Apple Podcast app, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps people find out about the show. Tell your friends about the show. Uh, if you'd like to, you can donate at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping-bomb-audio. dash dash And remember to check out Taylor on Wrestling Omakase's Joshi Year in Review, which is up on uh, the Wrestling Omakase Patreon uh, starting on January 1st. So. Uh, without having anything else to talk about. Uh, bye.
0: <laughs> Bye-bye.